Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. It's your host, Brad Furlan, on Vermont Viewpoint WDEV here in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. It's, uh, I'm your Monday host, and I love coming in. Gets my week going. Uh, I get the sheep fed early morning. I was going to put them out to pasture this morning, but one of them, uh, when, when sheep are on the ground, uh, they, uh, and don't get up when I, when I bring hay out, uh, it's usually cause for suspicion. And, uh, when one of my sheep got up this morning, she was limping. So I didn't bring them out to pasture. I'll have to see what's going on with that later. All this rain has caused uh, a lot of causes problems with hooves on sheep, and uh, so it's just one of those things with farming that you kind of go with the flow. And uh, we love our sheep, and we want them healthy. We've got a great show today. Uh, we'll be starting with Jerry Johnson from up in the Northeast Kingdom about an event that was uh, canceled that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, with the uh, Vermont League of Writers, and it's uh, we'll hear all about that. At 9.30, I've got Cora Smith coming into the uh, studio. Cora is a recent UVM grad. She's a freelance reporter for the Berry Times Argus. Uh, she's going to be doing some interning um, politically. And just want to talk with Cora a little bit about, uh, you know, coming to Vermont, spending four years here and now staying in Vermont. Uh, we're always trying to attract uh, younger people here, and uh, we'll find out from Cora, you know, what's the appeal. I'm um, glad she's staying, and we'll, we'll find out why. At 10.30, I'll be reflecting with some of the participants of the Substance Use Addiction Summit that was held on Friday. It was at the uh, Champlain Valley Exposition. It was a very emotional event. Uh, went through the day and, uh, we'll talk with some of the, uh, folks who were part of that and, uh, get their reflections. Uh, and now we'll go to the phone lines where I have, uh, Jerry Johnson on the line. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Good morning, Brad. Yeah. How are things up in the kingdom? Is it winter there yet or are we okay for a while? A few leaves are turning. Yeah. Um, there's no rain today. Good. And the sun's out, so it's a great day. Yeah, so there was an event uh, scheduled three weeks plus ago, and as I said earlier, the rivers were too wide for crossing, and uh, you, the the event host, uh, had to uh, postpone it, and it's coming up this Saturday, uh, August 19th. And and you're the host of the event. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's what's going on with that? Yeah, it, it was a group decision with the League of Vermont Writers that, that we changed the date because the rain and the flood a month ago was just incredible throughout the state. So the the events called into the words and. It's the sixth time I've hosted a League of Vermont Writers event at my schoolhouse. Um, 
and we make use of my schoolhouse for presentations, my barn, and the sugar house camp. And there will be actually 13 presenters, really terrific writers. I know them all, um, who will be doing some terrific talks inside the schoolhouse and the barn and the sugar house. And I can mention their names if you'd like. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, for those who missed our show uh, about five weeks ago, we we introduced the event. And, and one of the things that was uh, significant is if, if you want to be a writer, if you are a writer, if you have something that you want published but you don't know how to go about it, um, this is A to Z on on writers uh, with, as Jerry mentioned, with really um, some of the top people around Vermont and even guests from out of state coming in in for publishing, agents, uh, authors, everything. Um, yeah, and it would be good uh, if you want to talk a little bit about some of the presenters and what they're talking about, Jerry. Well, um the, the keynote speaker is going to be Paula Munya. She's from New Hampshire, and she's a USA Today best-selling author and a top-notch literary agent. And she will be doing a talk on beginnings, how to begin whatever you're writing. The first few pages are so important. And I've heard her speak before, and she does a great job. Um, Stephen Russell Payne will be speaking, uh, Celia Riker, Ellie Bryant, uh, Pat Gowdy O'Brien and me will be talking about our mystery novel, and we get a kick out of the, the title we gave it, um, <laughs> Plotting and Researching Murder Without Killing Each Other. <laughs> um, Sean Anderson, a former president, will be speaking Lynn Aspen, Paula Diaco, Pat Gaudio O'Brien's sister, Ellie Bryant, Joan Grant, Sharon Darrow, Kathy Quimby Johnson, and Amy Braun, our current president, will be speaking also. Well, um, it's quite a cast, and uh, when you prepare for an event like this, uh, you have... You started once upon a time with a one-room schoolhouse, which there were every community across Vermont. They were everywhere. They were on the corners. They were these beautiful little buildings. But your uh, area has grown quite a bit, barn and sugar house and all this. So I understand there was a little cleaning involved to get ready when you have a hundred guests coming. Is that oh, right? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get under the, under the, uh, the bureaus and over on the bookcases and all of that? Well, you know, I kind of like to get the place, my place is looking good. It, it's taken actually a few weeks to get things done. I've, I've got lights here and there. I've got table, table set up for, the authors who are coming, uh, they'll be bringing their books, so they're going to be available for people. And by, by the way, Brad, it's just not for writers. It's also for readers and those who like like the written word and the spoken word. So everyone's invited um, to come. We're talking with Jerry Johnson this morning. He is the host of 
the Vermont League of Writers workshop that's coming up on Saturday, August 19th. You can still register for the event. Is that correct, Jerry? Yes, and if anybody out there wants information on how to register, just simply send me an email, and I'll, and I'll give it out. Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, at jerryjohnsonvt.com. Jerry at jerryjohnsonvt.com. And it's in Irisburg, and it's easy to find. If you get to Irisburg by using GPS or whatever, just go down uh, Creek Road 3.2 miles, and just past the blinking light, you'll see my place. It's the restored schoolhouse on the right. Um, and you can actually register right there at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday. Um, so you can register online, but you can also register the, the day of the event. We're talking with Jerry Johnson. He is a uh, poet uh, from the Northeast Kingdom. He's also the host of an exciting event that's coming up this weekend at his Creek Road Schoolhouse. It is the Vermont League of Writers Workshop, and if you have any uh, writing bones in your body, this is the place to be. Um, Jerry, you talked about uh, the presenters, and uh, can you get a little more specific about some of the topics? I know that you know how to start a book is one, but what what are some of the things that people would hear if they go to your the workshops? I, I'm going to go into that. And by the way, folks, you'll be able to meet Brad because he's going to be coming to the event too. So, um, okay. wow. Well, don't let that discourage you, folks. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, great guy, uh, Stephen Russell Payne. Just, I'm just going to read, uh, you know, a header as to what he, these people are going to talk about. He'll he'll be right talking about. Finding the Discipline to Write, which is, and he's got a little subtitle here, Set the Kitchen Timer if you have to. Um, Celia Riker will be talking about revision, which is something we writers do a lot of. Revision, the seemingly endless task. Um, and I, I, let's see, in page two here. Um, Ellie Bryant, she's been here before and she's spoken. She's terrific. She's going to be talking about creative research, a full body approach to writing historical fiction and family history. And I mentioned that Pat Gaudio O'Brien and I will be talking about plotting and researching murder while not killing each other. This is for a mystery murder mystery that we've written and the next person here is Lynn Aspen and she's going to be talking about how to conjure up the muse the muse by accessing your subconscious mind um, I haven't met Lynn yet this will be the first time I will meet her, but, you know, we've been communicating, and she's originally from Sweden. Sean Anderson, a former president of the League of Vermont Writers, his topic, Landing an Agent, 
riding the roller coaster, how I got my agent. And next on the list is our feature speaker, Paula Munier, a writer's guide to, be- guide to beginnings, how to craft story openings that sell. And it's going to, her presentation will be just terrific. And next, Paula Diaco, sell your book, how to write a proposal that grabs the attention of editors and agents. Joan Grant, she also goes by J.S. Grant, her topic, improvisation for writers. And Sharon Darrow, next, imaginary characters moving in the real world, engaging readers' mirror neurons immediately through setting, senses, and the next word is senses and synesthesia. Um, And number on my next page, um, Kathy Quimby Johnson, Making the Visual Verbal. Ekphrastic poetry as practice and play. And Donna Ray Menard is next. Her topic is stepping out there, and which, which which she's going to talk about. If you're a writer and you've published a book, you want to get word out that you have a book. You know, on social media, in doing presentations here and there, etc. The and. Amy Braun, our current president, her topic is Nature Journaling Informs Craft. So those are the topics, and it's a terrific lineup of, of speakers. It really is amazing, it, and it covers everything that you would want to know. And you talk about one of the speakers can talk about how you start a book, and you think of all the um, – the beginning lines, the best of times, the worst of times. And and, uh, people read a paragraph and then they decide if they're even going to buy the book, if they're in the bookstore or uh, whatever. And so it's these little things are so important. Um, Jerry, you're a poet. Uh, You've got a a number of books published that not only poetry, but uh, music involved with some uh, Vermont musicians uh, working in collaboration with you. Tell us why poetry is part of your life and why it's important to you. Um, last night I was watching Andre Real on on TV in his incredible music, and he, and he said, you know, music can really heal the world, and I think poetry can do that too. And and, and any good writing. Um, you know, it informs people. It gets them in touch with their own emotions. Um, so, you know, I, I like I like poetry. I, I write. I like writing children's books, and and now I'm doing a novel. And there are other books down the pike that I'm that I'm working on. So, does it? Uh, does your poetry reflect? Uh, your your daily observations of life is that your inspiration and and how cathartic is that for you? 
catharsis is, is the key word. Um, and I think a writer, if it's poetry, if it's poetry or any genre, they're observers of what goes on around them and of, of people, of nature, of animals. And I, they reflect on that. And I, I mean, it, it triggers things that help their writing. Um, most, a lot of my writing uh, comes to me when I'm actually out driving around. Um, I may not have the radio on, but I'm just, you know, taking in what's around me. And a lot of things that are written have started while, while I'm out driving around. And do you take notes when you're driving? And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you don't well, lose you, that, you know that brilliant really line. Bad habit, don't you? Um, <laughs> I have my notepad with me, and I've been known to write things as I'm driving. Usually, I'll pull over. Yeah. But the thing is, I've got to. If something comes to me, if I don't write it down, then. In an hour, it'll be gone. I'll forget what it all it's all about. I think our listeners, some of our listeners out there can relate to that. I certainly can. I, I, we have these brilliant ideas like in the car, in the shower, at 3 a.m., other than the 3 a.m. anxiety moments. But uh, So I'm glad that you write things down. And can you just uh, – we've only got a few more minutes here. Um, tell our listeners uh, um, the titles of your books. My first one was titled A Bed of Leaves, and I'm bringing that one back again. Um, next was Up the Creek Without a Saddle, and which is a book of 99 poems, and it includes my artwork. And it comes with a, an album with John Gilmore and Pete Sutherland singing several of the poems that are in the book. And... After that came a children's picture book titled Noah's Song, and it's a fun book, uh, and I was blessed to have John Gilmore do the musical version of that, which goes with the book. Uh, Jerry mentions uh, John Gilmore. He is a, uh Elmore musician, and I think back to when the uh, pandemic was full swing every single day on uh, Facebook, John was singing a song uh, to uh, whatever audience and it was recorded. So you could, you could hear it after, but it was just, you know, the musicians in Vermont weren't able to do gigs and uh, they were suffering in their own way, financially and emotionally, I would say. And, and John just, decided to sing each day and uh he's certainly been part of uh your projects jerry um i will say that i have some of jerry johnson's artwork in our house my daughter and i went and visited him a few years back and we have some antique maple uh sap bucket covers that jerry has painted on these beautiful scenes that you can probably find at jerry's uh website um, so, Jerry, just tell us one a little bit more um, when, where, and how on uh, the League of Writers uh, workshop this weekend. Okay. This Saturday, the 19th, 
from 8.30, registrations from 8.30 to 9.30, and it, we go until like 4 in the afternoon. And it's an, it's an all-day event, uh, and people will be able to see my nice buildings here and listen in to a lot of terrific presentations. People bring their own lunch, all right, and... I think I think if you haven't come to one of these events, you're going to be pleasantly surprised, and you're going to love meeting the different writers. Yeah, well, it's it's really uh, as we said earlier, it's A to Z about writing, and uh, it's just quite amazing event. It's this Saturday, Vermont League of Vermont Writers. Uh, it's up in the beautiful Northeast Kingdom. And uh, we've been talking with Jerry Johnson. If you want to get more information, uh, go to the League of Vermont Writers uh, uh, website, and it's all there. And we hope that you can participate if you've got uh, writing in your soul. Go, yeah, LeagueofVermontWriters.org. Perfect. LeagueofVermontWriters.org. And, you know, start clicking. You'll find events. And on, on events, click click on Into the Words. Into the words, your uh, crafty play on words, uh, and uh, it'll be an exciting event. Jerry, I want to thank you for being on the uh, show this morning with me. It's always good talking with you. Brad, thanks a lot. You you do a great job, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. Take care. It sounds good. You take care, too. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan, your host on Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Beautiful day. It wasn't raining today. Hallelujah. Uh, our sheep, uh, the paddock outside of the barn is just drenched and, uh, it's very discouraging because I have to, uh, muck that area with just a pitchfork and a wheelbarrow. And it takes hours to, to clean it out, but the, it's very bad for the sheep's hooves to be walking through the really wet um, area. And I was just chatting with my neighbor across the street yesterday and telling him, oh, I got to get over there and, and muck the stuff. And, you know, I'm not looking forward to that. And he goes, well, we've got a backhoe with a, you know, we could, we, I can come and we can do that in, you know, minutes and, it was like, oh, that will be so life-saving, and my sheep will be very happy. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy about that. My next guest I'm really excited about. I've only met her recently, uh, Cora Smith. I want to welcome you to the program. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, so Cora, you are a recent uh, UVM grad, and you are doing some freelancing um, from uh, with the Berry Times Argus, and I was part of a uh, substance use addiction summit that was on Friday, and you were one of the journalists who who came to the event, and I was excited to meet you because you are someone who came to Vermont from out of state, and uh, I just want to ask you a little bit about that. How you know how how did you choose Vermont? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm from Connecticut originally. I'd grown up in Glastonbury my whole life. And when I was trying to figure out which college I wanted to go to, I knew I wanted to go a little bit farther than UConn, which is about 45 minutes from my house, and most people from my high school go there. Um, so I knew I wanted to go somewhere else, but I didn't want to go super far that I couldn't see my parents if I needed to. Um, and I grew up skiing in Vermont, mostly in um, southern Vermont, in Mount Snow, um, sometimes Stratton. So I knew the area a little bit, and I just knew that um, I wanted to be outside more. Like Connecticut, there's a lot of suburbs in Connecticut, and um, yeah, I just it seemed like a good spot. It's about four hours away from my house, so it um, yeah, it just seemed like a good place. And it has it had a social work program that I was originally interested in, and also had an environmental program that. Um, I was also interested in, so it kind of checked a lot of boxes. Wow, nice. Uh, and you passed up uh, being a famous basketball player at <laughs> UConn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty tall. I'm up 5'11", but I've never played basketball, so I don't know if I'd make the cut for UConn. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be taking a look at you, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, certainly a good school, but uh, we're glad you came to Vermont. Uh, what was the um, – you – Started as a freshman in the dorms and all of that. Uh, how how did all that go? Yeah, for sure. So I started in the fall of 2019, and yeah, it was my first time living outside of Connecticut. And I actually had three roommates my freshman year, which was pretty rare. Um, it was a big room, but it was just a lot of people in one room, so it was definitely pretty a tough start um, to college. And then COVID hit during my second semester, wow. so I went home for about eight months, seven months, I think. Um, yeah, so definitely a weird weird start to college. But. Wow. Um, and I did a uh, focus group several years ago, and we were talking with a lot of UVM students about choosing to come to Vermont, and they felt that one of the things I remember them saying is they, they felt like it was a safer environment. Is Was that a factor or...? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I learned even more, like, while I was at for UVM, like, how much, or, like, I felt pretty welcome there, and just, um, I think people were open to a lot of different ideas, like, a lot more progressive ideas than I was, had been exposed to in Connecticut, and just, like, um, different ways of living, I guess, and, yeah, I definitely felt pretty welcomed in Vermont. Yeah, and tell us a little bit more about your academic studies and, and what you gained at UVM. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so originally I was a social work major and didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly, but knew I wanted to make work with people and, like, wanted to um, create systems of change. And then I took – my first semester I took an environmental studies class and really realized how um, how linked social justice and environmental justice were, and I really, in high school, didn't realize how connected those were. Um, so I ended up switching my major after my freshman year to environmental studies and added a minor in political science. And, yeah, I just wanted to learn more about, like, changing um, policy at, like, a systems level change versus, like, working one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely glad that I changed my major. I took a lot of cool classes and um, still don't know what I want to do with my life. But, I yeah, I think I'm glad that I um, had the opportunity to, to be at UVM. I'm looking through the glass at my producer, Greg. Do, do you know what you want to do with your life? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still pondering what I'm going to do when I grow up. Well, I do know. Um, so, and 
there's nobody there who still knows me, I guarantee you. But I, I worked at the Argus from, I want to say, 80, 86 to 94. Um, again, it's really great to see someone young moving into the newspaper business because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so different from when, uh, when I was there. Um, and it's, it's just great. It's just great seeing someone young. And no, I have not decided yet what I want to do when I grow up, but I'm working very, very hard on it. Yes. Yes. Maybe we'll get some ideas from Cora on what we, what we should strive for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're uh, talking with Cora Smith. She's a recent uh, graduate at UVM and uh, is doing some internship with the Barry Times Argus, as Greg just mentioned. I was just listening to the ad that Copley put on about a ride and about Elmore and, and that Lamoille County area. I climb Elmore Mountain every full moon at night, and I watch the moon rise from the Elmore Fire Tower, and uh, it's spectacular. I don't always see the moon, like in February when it's snowing <laughs> and it's freezing. Uh, I sometimes can't even climb the fire tower, but it, I go up anyway because it's kind of my ritual. And I'm talking this morning with Cora Smith, recent UVM grad and um, somebody involved. Uh, your One of your interests is environmental studies and when I hike Elmore, Cora, I um, have been really trying to look at the trees and the uh, the flowers and, and everything that's growing and start trying to identify everything. And this last hike I had, the uh, beach, there's a lot of beech trees in Elmore, which is traditional in Vermont, and they're good for the bear habitat, but... They don't look healthy, you know, and uh, there's a lot of things going on environmentally that's uh, we got to take a look at, right? For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. There's so many things changing like so quickly, and I think a lot quickly, a lot quicker than we had originally thought it would change. So, yeah. so at UVM, um, you you came from Connecticut. You sort of had one perspective of life. Um, did that perspective change? Did four years in Vermont sort of um, open your thinking what what did it do yeah for sure i remember so um, my freshman year when i took that environmental studies class there was a lab component of it and a lot of it was discussion based and we were talking about sort of individual change versus systemic change and i remember like in the first couple of weeks i was really focused on recycling more and taking shorter showers and making sure i turned the lights off really when i wasn't using them and while those are definitely really important, I think I learned a lot about um, just how important it is to make changes on a systemic level and just that really we can't do it. I don't know. Yeah, we can't do it alone. Like there needs to be larger changes in order to actually um, address climate change. And that's definitely broadened my viewpoint a lot, um, just like how to focus on environmental issues as a whole. And were you um – one of many, I mean, do you feel like your age group is really uh, queuing into this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's on a lot more people's minds now, even the people that don't study um, climate change and ecology and the environment. Um, yeah, I just think it's sort of blown up as like the issue of our time, it seems like. Yeah, my daughter is 14 and um, she, you know, younger than you, but has really a, a worry at some level about the future and the climate. Um, are we making headway? Are we going to, are we going to get through this or? 
Yeah, that's definitely a tough question. I feel like, yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, it's hard. I think there's some days when I feel really hopeless, and I mean, I think sometimes the news can skew negative, and so it definitely can sometimes seem like everything is falling apart because there are a lot of, a lot of bad things happening out there. Um, and then I, um, there's other days when I am learning about like solutions and like places that are actually um, making change to like like for the better for the environment and. Um, it's hard to focus on those stories, but I think it's important to like, keep going, at least in this work, and just, um, yeah, looking for, like, solutions that are, like, on the ground already and already happening. I don't think you could have hit a more um, politically charged state than Vermont um, for environmental change. Is that, uh, did you see the larger picture with sort of the Montpelier point of view as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting to be, yeah, be in a state where people are excited about making change. I mean, obviously not everybody um, wants to change, and, like, environmental policies are hard to pass, especially with, um, I mean, people have to think about, like, their energy bills, and, like, we have to think about, like, daily, like, things that people are facing in their daily lives, too. But, um, yeah, it's, excited. it's exciting to, like, follow the legislature and see what's happening, and, um, yeah. Were you able to get to Montpelier at all during? A little bit. So it's funny when I I interned um, for my soft, during my sophomore year for Representative Bloomley and Representative Stevens, and that was during COVID. So I actually never went to the state house. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was all Zoom meetings and all, a lot of computer time. Um, but my senior year, I was actually able to go to Montpelier and um, I toured the state house a couple times. And yeah, it was really cool to just be in that room and. Um, Being a physical space after being remote for so long was really great. My good friend, Senator Thomas Chittenden, got elected. He was all excited and COVID hit, and he couldn't even go to the state house. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Must have been such a crazy time to serve in the legislature. Yeah, it actually kind of removed um, the legislature from the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we call it the people's house. It's open and uh, we get to observe government live and COVID really took that away for a bit. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about Vermont is really, you can just walk into the state house and you can watch um, legislative hearings and yeah, it's something that definitely got taken away. Yeah. It, it is interesting how small we are when I had a, um, I was interviewing one of our other uh, Vermont viewpoint hosts a couple weeks ago, Pat McDonald, who hosts the, this same show and at 9.30 at night, I uh, uh, sent an email to former Governor uh, Jim Douglas and said, Pat McDonald's going to be on tomorrow. You know, would you be interested in calling in just because he knows her? It, it, he, she was involved in state government. Mm-hmm. That night, within minutes, Governor Jim Douglas writes me back oh and gosh. said, well, I'm going to be in a board meeting, but, you know, thanks for letting me know. And that's kind of how Vermont works here. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it seems like everybody knows each other, which is really cool. That's yeah. I like it about it. So when you were at UVM, you you did your academic uh, route, but you did a whole bunch of other things. You got involved. How, how did that open up? Are you just sort of – are you the kid who's – sits in the front seat and raises your hand a lot? <laughs> yeah, I, I do usually probably raise my hand a little too much for my other fellow students. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was something that 
again, in high school, I was really involved in sports, and I really wanted to change that in college and, like, figure out other ways to get involved in the community. And so, um, yeah, I made that a focus for myself during college. And some of that focus was uh, you did uh, instructional biking, kayaking, rock climbing in and around Vermont. Is that right? Yeah, I worked uh, last summer. I interned for Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports, and it was such a fun job. I mean, I really just I was working with people with cognitive and physical disabilities, and really just my job was just kayaking and climbing with people. I mean, it was it was really great, and I met a lot of wonderful people that I wouldn't have met outside of that internship and. Yeah, I got to work on the lake every day, and it was and work on the bike path, and um, yeah, I was really glad that I got to do that. Wow! So you were right down Lake Champlain, right down Burlington yeah. area, or yeah, right on the sailing center. The Vermont yeah. Adaptive Office is in the same building. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I ran uh, into a lot of kids sailing. There was a lot going on all the time, but it was great. There's some real competitive racing there, uh, for sure. Uh, off and and where was the rock climbing? Usually at Petra Clinic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we would it'd be on weekends or something. We'd have little clinics. Um, but, yeah, it was really fun. So it was a little more controlled. Yeah. You yeah. weren't up at Smuggler's Notch looking up at <laughs> uh, Peregrine Falcons. <laughs> Unfortunately not. But <laughs> and have cool. you done that yourself as well? Not really. My dad and I used to climb a little bit when I was younger. Um, but I haven't really been out cellar climbing in Vermont. Um, but i got to find someone with the tools and all the gear. But it'd be really cool. I would love to do it at some point. Yeah, I, I, we drove through the notch yesterday because we did a little birthday celebration for my daughter, and I had been taken rock climbing once when I was in my twenties, and I will never do that again (laughs) ever. It was, it just wasn't doing it for me. It's a scary sport for sure. (laughs) Not for everyone, definitely. Repelling down and getting on ground was the best moment of my <laughs> life at that point. Um, so UVM was good experience. You had uh, you got the the academics. You felt like were a good start in life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I learned so much. I mean, sometimes it's hard to even recall everything as I just got to take so many classes and. Um, yeah, I got really close with one of my professors. Shout out Amy Seidel, but she um, she really mentored me throughout my college experience. And um, I was in a group with her called is a community or I always mess up the acronym is Climate Community Action and Literacy Lab. Um, we talked a lot about like science communication and how do we get um, how do we talk about climate change with people who don't study it and make it accessible and um, sort of getting away from that like doom and gloom mindset and a little more towards what's like solutions based and so she was something that someone that really helped me um through college and yeah i think i I got a lot out of uvm so there's um did you get to approach it do you feel like with with an open mind um there there's some i don't know if it's a critique but sometimes the the political influences of academia can be overwhelming to somebody were you able to sort through that and, and be your own person in, in what you were hearing? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely shaped a lot. But, the, I mean, it, I think EVM sometimes does lean pretty progressive or liberal. Um, I think sometimes it is kind of hard to get out of that mindset and think for yourself a little bit because 
a lot of people have similar views and even like your peers have similar views and your professors might have similar views. And so it can be really easy to just sort of go along with everything because everyone else is um, thinking similar thoughts. So I think it's something that I'm still working on is making sure that I'm you know, taking a step back sometimes and being like, okay, this is, is this what I actually think or is it just because everyone else around me thinks this way? And um, so yeah, it's like, it's a good point. I'm yeah. Sure. Good for you for, for observing that then. We're talking with Cora Smith. She's, uh, came, uh, to Vermont from Connecticut, uh, picked UVM over UConn in a tremendous basketball career, even though she hadn't thrown too many three-pointers <laughs> in her life. Uh, you can join our, uh, program this morning at 802-244-1777. Uh, we're going to be talking in the second half of the show more about, you know, w- what it's like to stay, you know, and what are the attractions in Vermont, uh, that kind of thing. The, um, some of the other things that you did while you were at UVM, um, were there, were there other things that were pretty exciting sort of recreationally that, that you enjoyed? Yeah, for sure. I got into hiking a lot during college. It's something that I never, my parents always loved hiking and I just never really had got the hiking bug until college. And I think it was, I mean, yeah, Vermont's just gorgeous. And I mean, it's, I was lucky a lot of, some of my friends had cars, even like sophomore year. So we were able to get out there and, um, yeah, that was a big thing for me of just being able to like slow down and be outside for a whole day was really new for me. Um, Coming from Connecticut, I mean, I did a lot outside for sports, but not um, not just, like, to relax and be outside. Any favorite hiking trails in Vermont now? Yeah, I mean, Sterling Pond is um, really pretty. Um, and obviously there's the pond up there, and you can sit on the, the ski um, or lift, ski lift. Um, I think Mount Hunger is also a really good one. Um, I don't know. Obviously, they're all beautiful. They're just, yeah, so yeah. many good spots. Mount sure. Hunger is a rigorous climb in Waterbury yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for those who have done it. Um, what about, uh, did you get up on Mansfield to the, the top top? It's actually on my list still. I don't know how I haven't done it yet, but that is something I want to do, hopefully this fall before it gets cold. Well, my recommendation is uh, start in Underhill State Park on Sunset Ridge Trail. It's okay. one of the most beautiful hikes. It's in the woods for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it opens up to this amazing vista where you can probably see your dorm room at UVM yeah, and Lake Champlain and all of that. So that sounds uh, great. we're talking with Cora Smith. We're going to be back with Cora in the second half. This is Brad Furland, Vermont Viewpoint Monday host. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Good morning. It's Brad Perlin, your host on Vermont Viewpoint here in Waterbury, Vermont. My uh, producer is Greg Titus through the glass. He, he helps keep the trains running, thankfully. Uh, I'm talking this morning with Cora Smith, a recent UVM grad. She's going to be sticking around Vermont. Um, Cora, you had mentioned a, a UVM professor who was a great mentor, and I'm, I'm really always grateful for mentors in, in my life. Uh, what about earlier on in life? Who, who were some influencers for you that, 
guided uh, your journey? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the probably my biggest answers are my parents. I mean, they were just always involved in my life from the start. My dad was my soccer coach and through elementary school and middle school, and my mom was like my Girl Scout troop leader. And so, um, yeah, they were just always involved, always showed up to like the plays I was in. If I, even though I was in the background, play, like, um, yeah. So they were they were just always involved in my life. Um, I had a really great, so I, I did rowing in, in high school, and I had a really great coach, um, and he was, yeah, he just, um, I don't know, I was a really good mentor and just, like, helped me, like, focus on rowing and focus on um, just, like, bringing the team together, and I ended up being a captain senior year, which was really a great experience to be able to, um, yeah, just, I don't know, make it more of a team and make sure people were um, getting along and um focusing on the same goal and um, yeah but I, I had a lot of great people growing up yeah um shout out to Cora's parents uh <laughs> we're always the you know that helping where the acorn falls from or the apple falls from the tree you know it's it's there's a lot of influencers and they're good and bad sounds like they were good role models for you for sure yeah i was very lucky i think they're listening right now so hopefully. oh good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we're glad that we have listenership in Connecticut. <laughs> this is a far-reaching radio station here in Waterbury, Vermont. <laughs> so we're we're glad you're there, Cora's parents. Um, so what about you? With you know, I talk with guests on the show who have written books, who are musicians. Uh, had a great uh, musician from Maine who really. He's much older now, but he uh, talks about sort of the social justice that you're talking about, you know, and there's a 60-year uh, age difference between you, uh, but you're starting some soul work on your own. What what's what are you feeling about that? Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a big question. I mean, I think... I think a lot of my college experience was really just learning how much of a step up I've had my whole life and just, um, and my parents have always supported me and I grew up in a really nice neighborhood and I had went to a school that was highly funded and, um, I had time to do sports and I didn't have to have a part-time job in high school. And, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, in college, a lot of my classes, I'm just learning how a lot of systems don't let people have the same like opportunities that I did and um yeah just figuring out ways that my work can um change systems for the better that so that um high school students do have time to like do sports or do arts or um theater if they want to and um I don't know being able to not having to worry about um paying bills as much and just being able to enjoy like high school and yeah and life so returning to the UVM environment, UVM at one point, and I don't know what it is now, had a reputation as being a party school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you come from Connecticut. There are, there are those who would say that they went through four years of academics that weren't much academics, but the, <laughs> the downtown scene was good. <laughs> uh, how, how do you balance all of that? What did you find? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, COVID probably put a little bit of a stop to um, too much partying, I think. Um, and I know your parents are listening, so <laughs> we'll go gentle on this. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think 
I, like, I think it probably just depends on, like, the crowd you hang out with. I mean, there's still, like, Greek life at UVM, which I was never invo- interested in or involved with. Um, so I'm sure you can find it if you want it, if you want to go out a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, we really did I don't know, we didn't really go out until everyone turned 21 and then kind of realized there was a bar scene downtown, and it's actually pretty fun. And um, I don't know, it's nice because um, I like it because I – we'll go there and know, like, five people I can say hi to that I might not see a lot. Um, uh, yeah, and then there's, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a good size. I think a lot of people maybe would rather go to, like, New York City or something, but I think it's, um, I like I like the downtown scene here, and it's a nice size for me. Yeah, um, and Burlington has changed. Next week I'll have Chief uh, John Murad, who oh, is nice. the chief of police in Burlington, and we'll talk about a lot of the changes and you know, there have been a lot of social changes in Burlington over the years, and you probably even saw it during, if you were following, uh, council stuff, and, and, you know, the, there's homelessness, which there is everywhere, and, and certainly there's, as we got into the summit, there's a lot of addiction issues. For sure. Um, so I wanna, you were, uh, we met because you were you're writing for the Barry Times Argus, and and you t- took an interest in this this uh, substance abuse addiction summit. What what caught your eye? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, substance use disorder is just something I really don't know a lot about, and I think I was pretty lucky to um, really wasn't exposed to it a lot in growing up, and. Um, yeah, just I think exposed to, like it's just yeah again homelessness is um, pretty prevalent in Burlington and I have learned that all by a lot more like living off in the old North End and um, yeah it was just something I just wanted to learn more about it I wanted to see what people are doing like how they're working towards solutions and just working towards protecting Vermonters and um, um, yeah just creating those social safety nets that everybody needs to to thrive and um, yeah that's sort of what drew me to it. And did you have a uh, journalism background or, or get some experience in, in your high school days? or Not really. It's funny. I don't know why I never thought about journalism earlier because I really enjoy it now, but I didn't really have any formal journalism experience until my last semester in college. Um, I took a class called the Community News Service, and they this class, basically you get thrown in for like the first week and you get partnered with a local news outlet, so I was with the Times Argus, and yeah, really just, um, my editor, Steve, like, gave me an assignment, like, second week of class, and then I just had to go out and report on it, and, um, yeah, I'm really thankful that I found it, and that, I, yeah, I enjoy it a lot now. And are you a good writer? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that is something that both high school and college really prepared me for is I mean, I wrote a lot of essays, but it's cool to write things that people are going to actually read. And, um, yeah, I think a big thing for me is just, yeah, figuring out how to condense a lot of information into something that makes sense and is accessible. Um, yeah, it's been a great learning opportunity. Do you use a tape recorder for interviews? Is yeah. That... Yeah. I have an, it's an app called Trent and it's really nice because it transcribes for you. So wow. I yeah, it helps with my quotes a lot for sure. I need that. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to talk after. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty great. Although my, my, um, editor who works at UVM would say that I should be a little less reliant on the transcription. But, <laughs> um, he's really good at just being able to, um, yeah, being able to write down quotes really fast, so 
yeah, shout out Justin, but <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter and I were interviewed by a reporter from the St. Albans Messenger about our oh, yeah. sheep farming. Mm-hmm. He came and he observed all the stuff we were doing and we ran the sheep down to the pasture and he took pictures and he never took a note. Really? And wow. I said to Chelsea, well, I don't think this is going to be much of a story. <laughs> and lo and behold, he he had all these quotes of things wow. we said and they were accurate and I couldn't believe it. It was like amazing. That's impressive. I, that's someday. Maybe someday I'll get there. <laughs> um, awesome. So, I'm talking with Cora Smith, UVM grad, uh, Barry Times Argus writer now doing, doing some, uh, some writing for them. Um, I want to get into a couple things. Uh, one, you're going to stay in Vermont, Cora and, uh, hallelujah. Thank you for doing that because we, we really, the, the political folks, you know, you always hear, we need more young people in Vermont. And, um, yet we never hear about the fact that, you know, who's staying and why. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I would say I'm pretty lucky to be able to stay. I mean, I'm hoping I'll be here for at least a couple of years and definitely could see myself coming back and living here, um, full time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, one of, I mean, honestly, one of the biggest barriers, it's kind of obvious, but is housing and just how expensive it is to rent anything. Um, and again, I'm really lucky to be able to stay here. And a lot of my friends had to move home just because of the financial barriers of it. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm really thankful that I get to be here and it's, um, grown to be one of my, like, favorite places. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad I can stick around. And what are the things here? I mean, I, I do hear what you're saying about housing. It's, it's really a challenge for everybody right now mm-hmm. for, for a variety of reasons. But, um, you're young. What, what are the, uh, what are the appeals that you could see living here longer term? Can you find a social life? Can you find, you know, the, the things that you want to do in life? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that really draws me to especially to Burlington is just the walkability of it I grew up in a suburb so we really had to drive everywhere the only place I got to walk to my elementary school but that was pretty rare I just was a couple houses down um but yeah I've just realized how much I enjoy being able to walk or bike places and I rarely use my car which is really really great and um yeah I haven't been able to find that a lot I was I was in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago with my family and um just, yeah, you really you need your car for wherever you go, like across, across a lot of places in the country, and um, that was a big thing. And yeah, I think social life. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see. A lot of my friends have moved away, but I've also still have a lot of people here that have have stayed around for a little bit, and um, I'm hoping that will continue because I, one of the things we talk about is like how do you make friends as an adult and. I'm still not really sure what the answer to that is. We're all wondering that, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so hopefully, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it's definitely, there's a lot of places to meet people for sure. But, um, yeah, I think it'll get harder probably as people move away. And um, navigating that will be interesting. Now, some may uh, joke that there's Chittenden County and then there's Vermont. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> You've been primarily in Chittenden County. Have you gotten out into greater Vermont other than your early life skiing in southern Vermont? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I'm still living in a little bit of a bubble in Burlington, but I've hiking has really gotten me out a lot. And um, I was just in the NEK. We went, a bunch of my friends went camping, and we went to Bread and Poppet. And yeah, it was pretty cool. And it was, um, yeah, it definitely made me want to explore the state more because there's so much I don't know about the rest of the state. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's no political agenda with Bread and Puppet <laughs> Theater. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, a little bit, but it was pretty cool. I had never been to anything like it, so, yeah. And they have, like, a uh, a barn museum there, right? Of- yeah, yeah, that was really cool. I actually would love to learn more about the history of that place. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. There's some huge puppets in there. Yeah, were they up on, did they have any of the, the actual stilt puppets when you were there? They did. They were huge. Yeah, I would not want to go there at night for sure. <laughs> they were pretty creepy, but yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we're definitely seeing, and I'm in Franklin County, which is, of course, north of Burlington, and uh, we're definitely seeing a lot of people moving up our way because maybe it's a little more affordable than Burlington area. But then it does beg the question for, for social life for, for younger people. And what, what do you look for? What, I mean, eateries, is it, you know, uh, theater? I, I don't even know. What, what are the things that you'd be looking for that we we're not doing or we should do? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I think something that comes to mind for me is just, like, open green spaces. Like, I've realized how – I like, I had a pretty big lawn when I was at home, but being in Burlington, I actually don't mind not having a big lawn if I can, like, go down to the waterfront and, like, meet people there and be more of in a communal space. And um, even, like, yeah, being able to walk along the bike path and being so close to the lake or just being um, – I don't know, just having more places to walk around is really helpful for me. Um yeah, and I think, yeah, also just, like, coffee shops and, like, lunch places that, um, again, are easy to get to. And um, I don't know, I I was listening to a podcast the other day about, like, communal spaces and how people don't talk to each other as much anymore. And I guess, I don't know if the answer is to it, but just finding more ways to get strangers to talk to each other um, is something I think about a lot. And, yeah, how do we connect with people that we don't know is, is tough, but I think important. It's interesting you say that. I had a meeting with uh, somebody from the Burlington Police uh, about a week ago, and I was on North Avenue at a little coffee shop there. Was it Scout? Was yes, it? Yeah. it was Scout, and it was amazing. And there, were, there wasn't a whole lot of conversation going on, though. There was a lot of people like at their sort of at a workspace almost. Right, so, right. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. I so. I went to the Montpelier Farmer's Market uh, a couple months ago, and I met this woman named Maxine. She's in her 90s, and she just talks to everyone. I mean, we didn't know each other, and she came up to me and just started talking, and we're really good friends now. And I want to, I don't know, I want to meet more people like that and be more like that because it's just, it opens up a lot of possibilities. And what is the social media doing um we actually, I'm going to, uh, we've got a caller, Mark from East Montpelier, joining the call. Welcome, Mark. I'm doing good. Uh, so I was wondering if there's any, in the archives of the Times Argus, uh, my dad was pro at the Berry Country Club from 1970 to 76. And on August 15th, 1973, he set the course record, uh, he shot a 65, and 
I'm just trying to get uh, a copy of that so Barry Country Club can have that for their historical records. Um, but he was one of the legends of Vermont as far as, you know, just playing all the state back when I was a kid, so on and so forth. Wow. Well, uh, when you go up back off air with Greg, can probably get your contact information, Mark, and uh, we'll – Cora and I will uh, see if we can do some research on that. That would be exciting yeah, to find it, that. Yeah, it's under, it was under the golf notes, August 15th, 1973, but using the uh, playing with three other guys and one of the doctors from uh Barry area, but he bogeyed the first hole and shot a 65. I think he chipped in like seven times. Wow. And are you yeah, a golfer? You know, it's a demon for me, man. My dad is so good. I just, you know how sons want to be like their fathers? Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do some research. Greg can grab your uh, your information, and thanks for the call. Yeah, but uh, to put that, I am a musician. I'm, I'm a pretty good harmonica player. But uh, Well, that's, everybody has a gift. That's what we know. <laughs> yeah, just, if, you, if you just search Mark Lavoie. Wood songs, you'll see, you know, the stuff that I've been doing. But I'm, I'm an old guy now, but I'm trying to stay doocy doocy, man. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, so Cora, um, you're doing newspaper, uh, newspapers when, when Greg and I were in the newspaper business, uh, so to speak, I worked for the St. Albans Messenger for almost five years. It was a broadsheet daily. And it was big and full of news and full of ads and, uh, but today, you know, it's a lot more online stuff. Yeah, for sure. Actually, one of my, my other job right now, um, I'm working for the Center for Community News at UVM and my, that whole project is basically looking into like the loss of local news coverage and how can, like, is there a way that students can start filling that gap? Because it just seems like, yeah, a lot of these newspapers are being gutted. They're being bought up by bigger papers um, or just, like, hedge funds that don't really – they're, like, gutting the staff, and then there's not as much coverage about, like, the the baseball game that's happening over the weekend. And um, it's really led to a lot of polarization across the country, a lot of, like, social Im- Im- um, impacts that I had never thought about before learning about them. And, yeah, so it's just – it is hard. It's hard to see local news declining. Yeah, and um, here at WDEV, uh, the station manager, Steve uh, Korm, uh, was – he really was strong on the fact that like during the, the flooding and the rains that the media, the radio station is the, the lifeline to instant information mm-hmm. and, and, of course, print – you know, soon after, if not immediate online kind of thing. So is there a pendulum? Are we going to, are we going to, do you think we're going to see print come back or is it, is this like the Model T Ford? Uh, Yeah, that's a tough one too. I mean, I would hope it comes back. I mean, I think, I don't know. I remember one of my classes we learned about just, um, I don't know if you watch like a TikTok or a short video or something. We're really, we might, you might think you're learning a lot, but really we're not internalizing any of that information. But if you sit down and read an actual article and you're um, learning about an issue more in depth, it's going to stick with you a lot longer and you're going to have a lot more nuance about 
a situation. It's going to be a lot less left or right or black or white. Like it's, um, I don't know. So yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think it's, it's just hard. I think all of us, myself included, have really short attention spans now with phones. It's just so hard to pay attention to one thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see print media come back. It's just a tough, tough question for sure when everyone's online all the time. Well, you, you actually segue to something I was going to ask you. The, you know, the cell phones and the internet and the, you know, all of this stuff is definitely, uh, making, Direct communication. And by the way, you're a great communicator. Thank you. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you did well. Uh, and, but what about that? Are, do you see that, um, with your peers and stuff that you're just not communicating, um, the way you might think you would like to? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Phones, I think, have just made it so that none of us can sit still anymore. I think, Probably people used to wait for the bus and they would either have to just, I don't know, hang out with their thoughts or they'd talk to the person next to them. But now we can just, we can pick up the phone whenever we want. Um, and yeah, I think it's made it hard. I mean, yeah, it's just been hard to like connect with people, I think, because it's so easy to just, you pick up Instagram and start scrolling or, um, my, I don't know, I've heard people are like more willing to text someone than pick up the phone and call them and, um, yeah, I think it's changed a lot about how we interact with others. Yeah, no, I, and I'm not sure it's good. I think there are some good aspects, but certainly um, direct communication is uh, is helpful. We're, we've been talking with Cora Smith, and I'm going to um, ask and let, not let, but if, Cora, you want to stay in the studio for our last half hour, we're going to be talking a little bit about the addiction summit that you covered but I really want to thank you so much for being here and, and spending the hour in studio. It's really great to have in studio guests. We, you know, we're not on our cell phones. We're not texting it. Yeah. Cora, do you da da da? <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I've never been in a radio station before. This is my first time. So it's really great to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you. This is Brad Furlan. It's Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, we're going to be back with Cora and other guests talk about the addiction summit that was on Friday. And we'll be right back after this. Good morning. It's Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. I'm Brad Furlan. I'm your Monday host. I get to do this every Monday. This is my wake up. And I hope that you had a good weekend and I hope your Monday is going well. Maybe you're in a living room or your car, sipping on some coffee, um, figuring out your week. I hope all of those things go well for you. Uh, we've been talking with Cora Smith, a UVM grad, uh, a writer for the Times Argus, among a lot of other things. And uh, she's going to stay here in studio with me. But on the line, I've got the great and powerful Melinda White, who is co-chair of the uh, second annual Coming Together Substance Use Addiction Summit that was held on Friday at the Champlain Valley Exposition. Welcome, Melinda. Thank you, Brad. I love being the great and powerful and not even bribing you to say that. <laughs> uh, so I hope you've gotten some rest. You Months and months and months of work went into this, and, and you really were the, the sort of the whole um, package of, of – putting together this summit. Um, 
What, what did you feel about it? Have you had time to sort of decompress and, um, see what, what it meant? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because just like last year, uh, the same occurred this year after the summit was over. There's like that emotional hangover in a sense that it was just so exciting. It was so much work. And to go from having it be over, you know, like many people experience, whether it's their wedding day or something you've been planning for for so long. Um, but the, I feel like the day itself was extremely powerful. We had so many partners from not only across the state of Vermont, but from New Hampshire and Massachusetts and New York. And being able to connect in person with all of these various partners, as well as meet with members of the public to give them guidance and connect them to resources for their loved ones struggling or some people themselves are struggling. It was just such a powerful experience. And I, despite still being a little bit tired from it, I'm so excited to start working on the next one. And what were some of the takeaways uh, of significance that you felt uh, the summit achieved? I think, you know, a couple things. One is that I am definitely convinced that, um, as you know, one of my biggest passions with this is to get members of the public. And I still feel like there's room for improvement on getting the word out about the summit. And I also know being a grassroots event that it takes time and word of mouth is really the best way for people to learn about it and to know how much support they can be connected to in a single day. Um, but seeing the, and I continue to get emails and text messages and voicemails from various community partners that were there, and it's overwhelming to hear how grateful our partners were to have that opportunity to network and connect and share processes and, you know, to be able to look at some of the gaps that we know about, but also be able to hear about some potential solutions. Um, there's nothing I love more than being in an atmosphere where it's not just another meeting to talk about what's going on, but it's action. And I feel like there's so many different action steps that came from this summit. So uh, there were a lot of amazing speakers, and I'm really struck by two speakers, the symmetry, uh, one being Maureen Cabineau, who is uh, a nationally renowned author and uh, she writes and speaks about her daughter who uh, really got into trouble right and then but but survived and then the heartbreaking story Don Tetro and her husband Greg uh, and they they lost their their daughter Jenna and it's sort of it's that emotional symmetry was was overwhelming uh, to me, and and you know Maureen and Don well, and what what was the feeling for you? You know, it's they are both such amazing pillars. These two women, Maureen and Don, to me, like I I just couldn't admire women more than I admire these two, and the amount of courage it takes to share so openly and honestly their personal experiences with a group that size, it's it's so powerful. And, you know, even Maureen had said she does a lot of training and education and looking at the science behind how the brain works for not only the people with addiction but the family members. And she's a natural when it comes to instructing and teaching and guiding. And yet, as she said after the summit, when it comes to sharing her own story, even though it's years later 
and her daughter is in a good place, it's still extremely emotional. So the fact that she's willing to continue to share her experience so she can share hope for others is just beautiful. And then with Dawn, who you know I absolutely adore and love so much, with her continuing to advocate for people in recovery needing services and continue to develop and grow her program and connections and the employment opportunities that they give to the people who go through their program and the partnerships. You know, Dawn to me is just such a superstar and somebody who has used pain and grief as a motivator to be a change and a force for good. And she continues to live out her daughter, Jenna's promise by doing the work that she does. It is quite remarkable. Uh, we're talking, Melinda White is called in uh, to talk a little bit about the uh, Substance Use Addiction Summit that was on Friday. Big event, over 80 or over 90 booths. And Maureen Cavanaugh had a, quite an emotional line. Um, can can you refresh our memory on that, the, that her daughter said to her at one point? that she ended up using to title her book. But when Maureen was sharing about her daughter having gotten into recovery, she was in and out of treatment programs for a while, and she finally had a good length of time that she was stable and she was thriving, doing amazing, and all of a sudden she didn't return home. And there was a search party out looking for her, and they finally located her at 3 a.m., and she was filthy and broken and in tears, and she was on the floor crying, and Maureen said, you know, honey, I love you so much. There's nothing I won't do to help you. How can I help you? And her daughter said, if you love me, you'll let me die. And when Maureen shared that from the podium, my mom was sitting next to me, and she grabbed my hand and started bawling because sadly she's heard that line from me many times back in active addiction. So it's just that stark reminder of how desolate a place those of us who are struggling in active addiction where we get and how we feel and what the families go through. Yeah, what a powerful moment. And it it does speak, Belinda and, and Cora, to the fact that this this is life and death. Uh, this is not just sort of a, a movie that we go and sit and we come out and then we go about our lives. This is happening every day. The health department pointed out that the Deaths in Vermont are going up, not down from, from addiction. We have, uh, the, the MC of the summit, Charlie Papillo on the line. Welcome, Charlie. No stranger to WDEV. <laughs> not at all. Hey, great to um, get you both on, uh, on the air this morning and certainly congratulate you for, you know, a wonderful job putting this, uh, this summit together and, uh, if you can do it, I, you, you both need to take a virtual bow for the radio audience because it was just an amazing event uh, that you both uh, put on. So take that bow. Oh, thank you. Oh, hit my head. <laughs> oh, yeah, easy. You got to be careful in that studio. I know that, Brad. <laughs> uh, sudden movements, and you might hit yourself. But um, and I'm glad that you brought up um, the the comment. Uh, you know, the book title of Maureen Cavanaugh because. That was one of the powerful moments uh, of the day, and especially, Melinda, when you got up and spoke and, and you introduced your mom, I mean, and, and related that whole story. Nobody knew your mom was going to be there. That was just a wonderful moment. It, it yeah, truly was, yeah. Go ahead, Melinda. Yeah, no, I was going to say, with, you know, with last year's summit, it didn't occur to me to invite my mother, but this year it absolutely did because there was such a huge focal point on the family members 
And, you know, my mom didn't know that I was going to ask her to stand up, and that's probably good because she <laughs> just went to gone yeah. while giving her up. But, you know, the reality, as I was reflecting, Charlie, is, you know, I was on your show recently. I was on a couple different radio shows. I've been asked to speak a lot over the years, and oftentimes people say, how did you do it? How did you kick your addiction, your addiction? And I have, like, 45 seconds to answer, and there's no way to really summarize it in that time. So my go-to answer has always been, it's the power of a praying mom. So it really felt appropriate to have put the face with the woman that I continue to say that with and have her stand up because the reality is it's not my win. You know, it's her and it's those, my sponsor, who I pointed out, who is also one of our volunteers yeah. there, Patty Joe. Like, they're the ones that sustain. And that's the way it is for people in recovery now. It's the ones who have the courage and the love to to love them until they can love themselves and hold them until they can hold themselves up. So, Charlie, but, what were... Some of your, you were MC, so you really were keeping the trains running. Uh, but what were your takeaways about the summit and, and how it, it may have, uh, had a meaning? Well, it, it certainly shows that the community is involved and, you know, having Dr. Mark Levine there, uh, health commissioner, uh, and his commitment to, to, you know, ridding uh, the, not only the state, but, uh, you know, the whole country of, of this uh, epidemic and, you know, the fentanyl death that we're seeing. Um, it's just, a, it's a real commitment. And it was a real testament, uh, you know, to you guys when you consider who was there in the room. I mean, the health community was there. Uh, law officers were there and all people from recovery. As you mentioned, you had 90 different organizations that were represented there in, in their booths, and people had an opportunity to talk with them. And, you know, the whole uh, coming together, uh, certainly that's what it was. It was a coming together. And, 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 Brad, for you specifically, because you and I have known each other for a long time, and I've worked with you for so many things, and, and typically it was, you know, producing radio programs and video shows. And then I remember a few years ago when you told me you wanted to do this, and you, and you did the first one at Capitol Plaza, and, that was a success. And then when you went to the Champlain Valley Expo, I'm going, now he's going to the big league. <laughs> and, and you know, I sent you a comment the other day, and I said, you, you, you guys hit it out of the park. I mean, when you consider the number of people that were there and the organizations that were there, uh, and, and as I mentioned, you know, the health community, law enforcement, all represented people involved in, in recovery, that was that's, it was a home run, guys. It really was. You guys hit a home run. Well, Melinda patiently put up with me. She, she, <laughs> she was doing so much of the, her networking is amazing. And I will do a, a shout out to Dr. Mark Levine. Jeffrey Trites from the Vermont Health Department is this really brilliant young man who, uh, is a statistician for them, but he, he takes the data and he makes sure people know that data is a person. And that was remarkable. And also a, a, a shout out to uh, Monica Hutt, who represented the governor. She's the chief prevention officer. She was there and got to to speak, did a great job speaking on behalf of the governor. And, um, you know, we're, we're just we're real appreciative of all the partners here. Uh, so, Melinda, were were there other things that you felt were, you know, sort of like the home run of, of the day kind of thing? You know, I feel like there's 
so many, but the first ones that come to mind, you know, Monica was very open and genuine in saying that her comfort zone is not speaking in front of a crowd, but she stepped outside of her comfort zone to be part of this special day. And she also noted how powerful the the team challenge, the Vermont Adult Team Challenge choir was. Um, and, and I continued to get feedback about them. Even yesterday, I was in multiple public places and so much positive feedback with their choir, just such an authentic, beautiful group of men and women that are in recovery, that are sharing, you know, experience, strength and hope and holding up their lengths of recovery, the power that had and the tears that were shed. Um, and I just continue to get so much feedback about, you know, the speakers and also, you know, to know that having Peter Mallory and Jeffrey Moreau with Vermont Alliance for Recovery Residences sharing about the inception of VTAR and what those recovery residences do, and also advocating to get these respite beds that we've been trying for years to get across the state of Vermont. Jeff did a beautiful job explaining what they are, what they are and why they're so badly needed. And I'm really hoping that, you know, there was some energy around that. So I'm hoping there's going to be some additional beds that'll start opening up for those respite, those, those temporary respite places for people to go and safely get a little bit more balance so they can return to the recovery residence. I'm so glad you mentioned Teen Challenge, Melinda. Uh, they are um, a faith-based recovery in uh, Johnson and, and thereby are have been a little bit chastised. Uh, people sort of label them as, as an approach that, you know, they're sort of like, oh, I don't know about that. And yet... 40, 50 of them were there singing and holding up their, their times of sobriety. And what we find, and, 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 uh, Pastor Welch, who, who runs the program, one of the things that they do so well is they, they guide their, the people that they're working with on, uh, health issues, on, on legal issues, on getting back with their kids, on getting GEDs, on getting workforce development. We're finding that the, the clinical piece of a week or two is just not enough. And there, it's all hands on deck for recovery, I guess, is, is what I'm asking you, you and Charlie. Yeah. I mean, oh. you want to go first? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Melinda. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess just, you know, to touch on the, we, the goal with having all organizations is that, you know, Recovery Vermont and the Recovery Center is one of our slogans is that we celebrate all pathways to recovery. So that includes the faith community. And as you know, I'm I'm slightly biased because I'm a graduate of the Adult Teen Challenge program in Philadelphia in 2010. I was there for 13 and a half months in their residential program. And quite frankly, of all the residential programs that I've gone to, because I had been in a combined almost two years in various programs, Teen Challenge is the one that those skills I learned, I still draw on today. And it's not just about abstaining from, you know, being an active youth, but it's about having a better quality of, of life. It's about staying disciplined. And I remember when I was headed there and people said, well, they're going to brainwash you. And it's like, you know what? Thank God, because my brain needed to be washed. And they truly taught me everything from you get up, you say your prayers, you make your bed, you, you know, just being a person who will suit up and show up to your commitments and be an honorable woman of dignity and honor. And that's where I learned most of that with some team challenge. Awesome. Charlie? Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the team challenge, adult challenge group. And, and for a lot of people that weren't uh, able to, you know, a lot of the vendors were outside at their booths, so they didn't hear the, uh, the choir singing, so they missed that. But the most moving part, as you mentioned, Melinda, was when they 
held up these cards and it showed the months and weeks of sobriety that they've attained through uh, through the Teen and Adult Challenge. And I noticed one card, it said five days. I mean, that was very wow. moving. And I looked at this woman and I'm going, you know, you've got a long ways to go, but you're certainly in the right place to do it. Wow, that that's... Um it's it's so emotional, and I want to mention one of our guests was Anthony O'Shaughnessy from Granite Recovery in New Hampshire, and and one of the things that really came out of that uh, was we need to have beds available when people are ready, and that means not ready in a week or ready in two weeks to you know a bed ready. It means now, this moment, on the phone kind of thing, and and Anthony O'Shaughnessy was very generous about. Um, sharing how they have a lot of beds in New Hampshire, and we really talked about the tri-state model, and 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 I think that's something that definitely needs to be looked at. I want to ask uh, Cora; she's she's with us here in studio. Um, you were covering this really as a journalist, but was there? How do you how do you kind of? Get past the tears also. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, yeah, just looking, listening to the two moms who spoke, I just, yeah, I was, I was tearing up, but it was definitely, it, it was an emotional space to be in for sure. Um, yeah, I think definitely something that stuck out to me, I don't remember who had mentioned it, was just, um, if, if you have a child with cancer, like you're going to be there for them no matter what, and you're going to show them as much love as you can. And it's when you have a child with substance use disorder, it's, a lot of times people are told to, I think someone said to hit rock bottom and it's, it should be treated the same as like any other illness. And that was really powerful for me of just like, um, yeah, people, some people are just sick and it needs to be treated that way. And it's, um, people just need support like anyone else. Uh, well, thank you for that. Now, um, Melinda, your, uh, commander Matthew Prouty, um, won the hearts of all, uh, I, I'd like to have him on my radio show, but I don't know if we could, if his language will get through on the airways or not. He, he's a pretty frank talk guy. <laughs> but, but tell us about his role, Melinda. Yeah, you know, Commander Matthew Prouty is the real deal. I absolutely love that, you know, he's, he doesn't hold any punches. He's very open, very direct. But quite frankly, I think that's why he's been so effective in the work that he does. He will name it, whether it's comfortable to hear or not. And then he will also start looking at what are the solutions, you know, to these different issues and problems. And he has gained so many strong relationships with the community partners in the Rutland area. He also has a humongous master listserv. And I am on that listserv. And I see him send out emails that may include updates on upcoming events like our summit right down to some things that might seem small but huge for one person, that there's a family that just got housing and they don't have a washer and dryer. And then I'll see a response from somebody else saying, oh, we have one in our warehouse. We're going to drop it off. So the connections that he does for the wraparound support of individuals that are, you know, that are struggling, you know, he is just a master connector. And that's what I'm most passionate about in my life is being a connector for those in need to where the resources are. And he is just masterful in how he does it. And to boot, he's not boring. <laughs> yeah, not not at all. I want to thank Melinda White, Charlie Papillo, and Cora Smith for joining me in this last half hour. Uh, great discussion. Thank you, all of you, for what you do, because this is life and death. This is saving lives. 
Uh, next week, I've got Chief Murad from Burlington uh, talking about, you know, law enforcement in Burlington. That's going to be a fascinating hour. He'll be live in studio. Uh, this is Brad Furlan. It's Vermont Viewpoint WDEV, and I hope your week goes great. Thank you, listeners. We can't do radio without you.